0: It's the funniest show in town. Jew Man Group at the Tuscany Suites and Casino. A comedy thousands of years in the making. Wednesday to Saturday, 5.30 p.m. in the Copa Room at the Tuscany. From the Catskills to the Borscht Belt to the shimmering lights of Las Vegas. It's Jewman Group at the Tuscany. For tickets and information, log on to JewManGroup.com. That's JewManGroup.com.
1: You're going to laugh your tuchus off. Replacing your air conditioning and heating system is a big decision. That's why Johnny on the Spot Air Conditioning and Heating tailors every new unit estimate to meet our clients' needs. We go over all the options with you and custom design a new system for you and your home. And of course, these consultations are always free. Schedule your free new unit estimate online at johnnies.vegas or call us at 702 Johnny's. That's 702-564-6697. Contractor license number 76827.
0: Hello, hello, and welcome to The Vegas Voice on AM 1400 KSHP Las Vegas. The Vegas Voice, the voice for your health, wealth, and good times. It's the free monthly magazine. Learn more at thevegasvoice.net. Hi, everybody. John the announcer here, and oh, yeah, today's show is going to be great. So let's bring on the host. Here is comic impressionist Rich Natoli. Welcome to the
2: Vegas Voice Radio Show. Rich Natoli, your host here with John the announcer in studio. And we are joined by Pete Barbeauty in studio talking about all these uh, great showbiz stories. No, Don was, Don had, a
3: few people know it, but Don, before he became terminally ill, had uh, one of those uh, flesh-eating bacteria Things, you know, they went through hell with it. To, you really? know, they keep trying to find some kind of antibiotic that can kill it. And his
2: it was, it was skin, it was like, I think it was
3: on a leg, but I'm not sure. But he, yeah, he didn't have a. But don't mention his name with Shecky because they're bitter enemies. Not bitter really? enemies. I thought
2: they were friends. Yeah, they're they just... are
3: friends. But But Shecky has this, this thing. Uh, he was the man until Rickles came along. Then That's all the celebrities, the yeah, the yeah, yeah, all the celebrities started to move but over to rickles rather than Shecky. And, yeah. and 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 comparing their acts on stage i mean don had a, a gimmick and if if you look at his act without considering his persona right. it was a terrible act mm. i mean it wasn't it wasn't a very Cause good cuz he act. just worked and, off the people yeah, yeah. Uh, Checky, on the other hand had was was brilliant you know yeah. and and so they they always had this thing together in uh, Shecky didn't get along with Buddy Hackett too. I mean they got along great, but they were the bitter enemies, they hated each other. So there
2: one. was so back in that day there was a rivalry going oh, with yeah. these guys. Oh, they all yeah. worked the strip at the same time, right?
3: Yeah, they were all all on the strip and all making uh, you know when you think back at the salaries in those days, Shecky was making 100k a week. <sighs> Uh, in the late 60s and 70s, that was a lot of money back then. You money. know, a Cadillac was 5,000 yeah. and a big fancy house was 50,000. You do
2: a month there, you yeah, yeah, for the rest of your life, you're set.
3: Yeah. Sure. So it was it was a different time, but they were drawing the the players in and Yeah, yeah. Shecky's a fascinating guy. He's uh, he's 96 and his memory is incredible. He's he sometimes gets gets a little bit grumpy. And he has a problem with mobility because of his age. Uh, but his uh, his memory is incredible. He talks about going to the track with Al Jolson.
2: Jeez. <laughs> it's, like, it's like,
3: wait a minute, Al Jolson. Al that, Jolson. That's history of, yeah. of show business. Yeah, he said Al Jolson wasn't a nice person. He used to go to the track with him. Shecky was just a kid. And Al Jolson, after every race, Al Jolson would show Shecky the winning ticket. Say, hey, I had the winner. And they found out later he used to buy a ticket in every race. And every horse in every race, just so he could show somebody. Ah. That. <laughs> really? Yeah, then he was <laughs> real tight with Lou Costello. It was a, an angel of a guy. You did know. you know
2: any of those guys? You, you, I, not, no, I
3: didn't know. I was a generation, kind of a half a generation after still
2: But you're still in, you were in, in, and I said this to Rich Little too, yeah. you guys are in like the perfect era of show business because yeah. that's when, you know, you had the, the three networks, you had the talk shows, yeah. and if you did, Merv Griffin, Mike Douglas, Dinah, uh, Carson, everybody saw you. Yeah. Because it was major exposure. Uh, there was another one too, Arthur Godfrey.
3: I did the Arthur Godfrey show, the mm-hmm. radio show, yeah. and it was a whole different audience. And, uh, and then I did the Gary Moore TV show, and it was a different audience. And, and I had done maybe a hundred talk shows. And, I, and when I did the Gary Moore show, we get letters saying, uh, "Who is this guy? I've never seen him." And I say, "How could they not have seen?" Him? But it's uh, different audiences listen to different yeah. things is with godfrey it's fun. i was working reno at harold's club up on the seventh floor they used to have a, club, a fun room mm-hmm. it was a, a, a room a showroom that couldn't have seen it more than 60 people and they had a full orchestra and they used big stars like frankie yeah. lane and you know and i was working up there and this group of people in the audience there were like four or five of them uh they knew all the right places to laugh they were like they were just very hip they were picking right. up on little things and and so i knew they were in show business somehow and then uh, the next night they were there again and then the next night they were there again and when I left the room, they were waiting out there, and they introduced themselves. One guy was Peter LaSalle, who later became yeah. producer of The Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. He was Arthur Godfrey's producer for the radio show. Oh. And he said, uh, I'm Peter LaSalle, and this is uh, Arthur's secretary, Mary Vann, and this is the band leader, Johnny, and I forget who else, but there were a couple people there. And and he said, uh, we're we're doing a show at the John Esquaga's Nugget over in Sparks, Nevada. Right. And he said... Uh, Arthur's doing a show at night, and in the daytime we do two radio shows every day. So he said, uh, "I'd like to ask you on because we love your act." But Arthur would think you're an alien. He, you know, he has no idea. He's so square, like, and you're so off the wall. He wouldn't know. He'd think <laughs> you're a foreigner or something. He said, "But you should come over and meet him. It wouldn't hurt you." And I said, "All right." And I really wasn't interested. I knew that's a different thing. And yeah. I said, but I decided to go over anyway because they were so nice. So I sat in the audience and I saw the radio show, and it, it was good. It was a good band they had, and everything. And and uh, the break in between, there were multiple taping, and uh, Peter waved to me, and so I went up to the stage, and he was standing there talking to Arthur Godfrey, and he introduced me to Arthur. And Godfrey said, Are "You the guy who been keeping me up, my people up all night?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm afraid <laughs> so, Mr. Godfrey." And and Godfrey said, uh, why don't you stick around and do the show? And I thought, boy, this is not a good idea. And Peter's standing behind him saying, you know, yes, with his head. So I said, well, thank you. I'll do that, Mr. Godfrey. So I was sitting in this panel around. It's a radio show, and they're talking about things. And I was thinking, what am I going to do that he'll understand? And I, I was running down these things in my mind. Then I thought, wait a minute. What am I talking about? No matter what I do, he's not going to have any idea what I'm talking about. So I might as well just do whatever I want to do. This is the only time I'm ever going to be on this show. There's no sense trying to change my life for this one show. So it came my turn and whatever I did, the other people were laughing and Godfrey was staring at me and he stared at me for what seemed like an hour. It was only seconds, of course, he stared at me. Then he started laughing and he laughed so hard they had to stop. They had to hold of the show. He left. he found some kind of fascination, like like I was a strange person that uh, right. that he didn't know or something. And, uh, anyway, we had this relationship and he said, anytime you're in New York, you got to do the show. I thought he was being kind. So next time I was in doing Merv and I was working the, the Copa, I didn't call him. Then the next time in, I thought, well, now I better call him. And so I called and they said, get over here. And, and I came in and did the show and, and he was just absolutely wonderful. Let me do anything I wanted to on the show. He laughed at everything I did and he had me do special things and, and, uh, then he he's, he he drove a Bentley, an old an antique Bentley. He drove it. He had a chauffeur, but he drove it. The chauffeur he brought the car. The chauffeur car, was in the back seat. The chauffeur <laughs> brought the car to CBS, <laughs> and he got out. Of, the chauffeur got into the back seat. I'm sorry about it. The chauffeur got into the back seat, and Arthur drove. And uh, anyway, we said he said to me one day after the show. He said, "Do you like Japanese food?" I says, "I have no idea what it is." He said, well, there's this new Japanese restaurant. It's it's owned by your people, meaning the mafia. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah, a tiny, yeah, yeah. I was, of course, in the mafia, you know. That so, is racism. Yeah, said, it's owned by your people. He <laughs> yeah. said, you want to go there for dinner tonight? <laughs> like said, we're all criminals. Yeah, yeah. and I you said, could. sure, okay. So the chauffeur comes by, and he opens the door, and Godfrey gets in. I get in, the chauffeur sits in the back, and we drive, and I'm looking for the restaurant. Next thing you know, we're at Teterboro Airport. We get out the... Car pulls in. They open the gate. We get out. We get into a Grumman Gulfstream twin-engine jet-prop walk-around airplane with a full galley, full head, full everything. You know, yeah. we get into this plane, and uh, he—he's the pilot. He's, he says, "You're gonna be my co-pilot." We take off and we fly to restaurant. the restaurant. Yeah, we fly to Miami. The restaurant was in Miami. How, how he went far to away? How,
2: well, how long was the flight? About an
3: hour and fifteen. So minutes you're, or you're
2: flying with him, and he's flying the plane. Yeah. Well,
3: Arthur had... Did that scare you? No, he has like the third most at the time. He had the third most hours of anybody in aviation. Really? Yeah, he used to go to... Uh, I think the American Airlines had a school in either Dallas or Oklahoma. Every time a new plane got certified, like a 727, a 737, the Airbus, every time a new plane got certified, uh, he was invited. He went down and he got checked out and got his commercial rating, 747s, everything.
2: See, I don't know. I'd be nervous. I'd be singing Buddy Holly and John Denver songs (laughs) the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Buddy Holly.
3: Buddy Holly's buried in Lubbock. Is he? I worked a gig there, and the, we had a people, Ed McMahon introduced me to some people on the yeah. Tonight Show. He said, these are friends of mine from Lubbock, Texas. Would you go out and meet them? I said, sure, Ed. So he took me out, and I met them, and they were all slapping hands. We so oh, we're such big fans. So when I'm doing my routine, I do a joke about Lubbock, yeah. you know, like Lubbock is a hick town, whatever the yeah. joke was. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, they laughed, of course, you know, it was just my way of acknowledging them, you know. And so what I don't know is some little old lady in Lubbock was watching the show and she wrote letters to the editor. There was some smart ass comedian on the Johnny Cross show he was putting down Lubbock and I think we should boycott the Tonight Show we should never look again until we get a formal apology <laughs> and then the next day somebody else wrote in and said hey lady get a life that guy's a comedian He probably never been to." and this, this kept getting bounced around I don't know anything about this because it's in the local newspaper yeah. some guy calls me to work a club in Lubbock for two nights yeah. offers me a lot of money I said, okay. So he says, I'll send you a first-class ticket. We'll pick you up with the limo. I said, well, that's pretty nice. I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I'm know that i in the car riding in, and the petition goes down the limo, and the guy says to me, Buddy Holly's buried here. And I didn't know exactly the proper response. Like, uh, like, uh, oh, gee, that's yeah, nicer. Yeah, oh, you, I'm so yeah. sorry. Or, I know. Well, you know, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. It doesn't have a normal <laughs> response. So I said, oh. So then the petition went back up, we drive, and then he puts it down, he says, uh, there's a call on the phone back there, they want to know if you're going to do, if you'll do a, a promo for the show, if you'll do an interview on TV, and I thought, hey, it's uh, like one o'clock in the afternoon, the show is tonight, if you haven't sold the tickets, that's not going to do much good now, so, but I didn't want to seem Snobbish, you know. So I said, Well, what kind of a show is it? He says, The six o'clock news. I said, Man, you know, Sinatra doesn't get the six o'clock news. You know, I yeah. said, Boy, that, yeah, I'll do that. I don't know about this whole thing. So I'm sitting in the green room, and the standard couple for the news, a gorgeous young blonde, you know, and a very, very handsome Latino male. You know, they're the anchor team. And they say, we'll be right back with the comedian and find out why he hates Slovak so much. I, <laughs> I'm thinking, what what oh. is this? I, I'd forgotten about this. So, so I get on and I was tap dancing all over the place. And I thought, how could this happen, man? So anyway, I go to work that night. It's raining. And I say, oh, we're going to get killed with. There was a line two blocks long in the rain to get in all because of this... Thing about Lubbock being yeah, the see, stupid. people
2: love all that kind of... the weirdest thing in the world. Yeah, here. we're talking to legendary comedian Pete Barbeauty in studio here. Rich Natoli with the Vegas Voice, along with John, the announcer. we John, the a quick... announcer.
3: Don't forget John, the
0: announcer. John,
2: the announcer. Yeah, we're going to take a quick break, and me and John, the announcer, and Pete Barbeauty will be right back.
0: The Vegas Voice brought to you by the Vegas Voice Magazine. It's the free monthly magazine. Learn more at TheVegasVoice.net. Don't go away. We'll have more right after this. now, let's return to The Vegas Voice. Here again is comic impressionist Rich Natoli. We are
2: back with The Vegas Voice radio show. Rich Natoli with John the announcer and legendary comedian in studio, Pete Barbeauty. And we were talking about, during the break, we were talking about uh, uh, uh,
3: uh, Julius, Julius Rosa. Rosa.
2: So now you were friends, you knew him. Yeah, he, he,
3: yeah, he was a dear man. And uh, Julie told me something interesting. When Godfrey fired him, he, it was on the radio show, yeah. not on the TV show. Okay. Godfrey fired him on the air. It was on the front page of the New York Times the most consecutive days until 9-11. Wow. That article was, it was so big in show business in those days that Godfrey fired him on the air. He told him, you lost your humility. Uh, Julie, I was, I was telling you, Julie was a musicologist. He knew little things like he knew the verse. To all the songs. Nobody knows the verse to yeah. you know, Stardust or, or Laura. They all have verses because everybody wrote them in those days. Sure. But uh, he told me Johnny Mercer, who wrote Moonlight in Vermont which is a beautiful song he said uh, there are no rhymes in it. Nothing rhymes. No two lines ever rhyme. I said how could that be? I mean all yeah, songs in those days has, It was a hit song and there were no rhymes with Johnny. When I was working with Nat King Cole uh, on the road we were in Anaheim and and there was a big cast to the show and it was a theater in the round and uh, it was a full orchestra of course with Nat yeah. and at the time I was playing the Fender bass and I was sharing a dressing room with Nat cuz there were a lot of people in the cast so which we did all the time anyway and and uh, the show was over it was a t- it was a 7 nights and two matinees so it was wow, a tough that's show tough, yeah. and so I was coming up I went down and I got my Fender bass And I had the cord and my books for the orchestra. And there's a full orchestra, so there's a lot of music there. Mm -hmm. Somebody else was handling the amplifier and whatever. And so I'm coming up, and this little guy walks out of Nat's dressing room. And he stops me, and he's going on. He says, geez, you were funny, man. I really love your stuff. And I say, I'm sorry, I don't have a hand to shake you. I'd shake your hand. He said, no, that's okay. Just I didn't want to inconvenience you. I just, anyway. So I walked in, and Nat said, did you say hello to Johnny Mercer? And I thought, geez, I just blew off the greatest lyricist that ever walked the face of the earth. And
2: Wow, wow. And so you worked with, who's some of the other people you worked with?
3: Well, I worked with Sinatra. I worked Carnegie Hall with Sinatra. How which was
2: that? Was he nice Well, you know, or? working with... Because yeah, I yeah, mixed... mixed.
3: Well, he was great to me. Now, I have to back up and tell you that Sinatra was a very complicated man, but I don't think you could have a career like his and not be. And not be, yeah. You know, first he was so big, and then he was out of control. And then he was big again, and then he became a, a, a hood, you know, like a thug, because some guys in the mob knew him, you know, and he thought he was one of them. Yeah. and then And then he got older, and this changed, and that changed, and... But he was a lot of kids. When I was working the Sands with, with Nat Cole, I did a joke about Frank Junior. And he was he was kidnapped, but he was back and he was safe. So yeah. now you can do a joke. And when the kid is kidnapped and there's trauma if he's hurt, that's yeah. not funny. But, it, but now he's hurt, he it wasn't hurt at yeah. all. He's back and he's and he's fine, he wasn't inconvenienced or you know. Yeah. So I did a one line about it and I didn't know Frank was in the room with his entourage oh. and they got up and walked out. Well you can't see the back of the Frank room. Frank
0: walked out too. Yeah.
3: So anyway, I come out into the casino and some guy comes to me and says, Frank wants to talk to you. Oh, God. Well, I made the horrible mistake of saying, Frank, who? Because to, to this guy, there's only one Frank. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. So uh, I went over there and Frank was talking to some girl and he was sort of ignoring me. And I waited and waited and in, the, in the lounge you're sitting in the lounge. Yeah. So I finally turned around and he got real Belligerent got right in my face he said uh, I don't like the joke about Junior it stinks take it out you know and I said you know if he if he said to me you know what you got a joke in there about Junior It sort of it, it bothers me you don't need to have a good act but would you mind taking it out?" I'd say fine Frank you know did, that, did it get a laugh, uh, yeah, did, sure it yeah. a laugh yeah sure it got a laugh yeah but and so he just hit me the wrong way and I said no the joke doesn't stink I said, it may, it may bother you, but it doesn't stink. He said, take the joke out. Do you know who I am? He got into one of those things. And anyway, we ended up yelling at each other. And and so I got up and walked out. and I ran into Nat about two three minutes later, and I told him about it, and Nat was livid. He wanted to go back and cause a big physical scene with Sinatra yeah. uh, because they had some bad blood before when Frank was in that thug part of his life nat and frank were playing blackjack and dean martin was dealing well you know you're going to draw a crowd there's nobody bigger than them, yeah, you them, yeah you know the three of the biggest stars on the face right, of the earth you sure. know and they're doing jokes and everything yeah, and dean is yeah. looking under the cards and you know <laughs> slapping them and of course the audience is. i mean yeah. they drew a thousand people oh, and sure. well, you know you couldn't pay for this show yeah. and uh nat tapped out and so he said to dean he says give me another 200. And, uh, in front of all these people, Frank turned to Dean he said it 's okay, give it to him and Nat said, "Wait a minute you 're okaying me for two hundred dollars you know and Nat at the time was making fifty thousand a week, as were all <laughs> yeah. the acts there so, so and Frank said, "Well you know i 'm a vice president of the corporation, but every you know everybody was all those guys were made vice president. Shaky was vice president of the Riviera, Buddy Hackett was vice president of the yeah. Sahara. you know they gave you a card with your name on it you got compton the mm-hmm coffee shop it was not anyway so sinatra we had this thing then uh, so we don't talk and then i'd run into him i'd do the golf tournament down in palm springs and he, he'd always say hello he said how you feeling and i said fine frank never apologized never said anything but you know and it just kind of went away and then uh, he called me and said uh uh, the, a man of the year in New York they're doing a show at the Waldorf Astoria I don't want to sing so I'm going to bring you and present you, you do the show he said well geez that's great Frank, appreciate that so he said okay you. Uh, I'll have them give you a, an airline ticket and they'll pick you up at the at the LaGuardia the and take you to the Waldorf Astoria so, uh, so he
2: respected you see there oh, was something there it, Any, yeah.
3: anyway, the whole the whole show was I got there, and they had a band, but Frank just said to them, "Look, get this guy and get him a band. It doesn't have to be a full band like eight, nine guys or so. Well, the guy who was in charge of this didn't know anything about who I was or anything, so he got he got me a Lester Lennon society band, mm-hmm. and they they couldn't play my music. it's like right. a different world and i and I, so I went there for rehearsal. I don't know who they were. I was on the stage playing the piano, you know, and I mean, I played. In those days, especially, I played fair piano. I, I you wasn't played like, with your nose. Yeah, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't banging on the keys. And this guy came in and says, Hey, get off that stage. I said, I beg your pardon. You're not Maury. Maury's a piano player. Yeah, I know. I'm the guy you're playing for tonight. Well, you ain't more. You get off the stage. And these guys came in and I count the music off. And instead of Count Basie, it was like Lawrence Welk. It was So it was just terrible. But I said, hey, you know how it is. You're in the business. Yeah.
2: You, 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 you yeah, suck it up and you do everything's it. Everything's happening. Yeah, I know. On yeah. Stage,
3: yeah. I have this theory that uh, St. Cecilia is the patron saint of entertainers. And she's the next chick singer.
0: <laughs> and, she, and
3: she's and she's very moody yeah. and she's getting even
0: with us, yeah. and, you know, like
2: you think your career is going good yeah. only because she's screwing up somebody else's life. And then, I, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. I was in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania one time doing a show for five months. Right. And the room was like sold out. We're getting close to now uh Christmas time, yeah. New Year's Eve. Okay, uh, big balcony, bottom seat, whole room seat, about 500, 600 people, right? So I'm on stage, I'm doing my act, and I'm killing. I'm having, I'm, everything's hitting really great. All of a sudden, I hear this rumbling in the audience, and everybody starts to leave. They're running for the door. And I'm, it's like a Seinfeld episode, yeah. and I'm standing there like, Seinfeld, what's going on here? Yeah. And the guy in the wings are, Rich, Rich. Look above your head. Spotlight was on fire. Oh. A ball of flame, literally two feet above my head, on oh, fire. Man. They're evacuating the theater. And I'm going, this couldn't happen when someone else was on. <laughs> yeah. I was killing.
3: Yeah. <laughs> but, it uh, couldn't uh, happen in a joint where you're not doing well. When you're bombing. Instead, yeah, yeah I was bombing. doing fine
2: until the fire. I know. And, but, you know, it couldn't happen in Ozark, Alabama. Oh, did you ever work that place?
3: No, I never worked Ooh. Ozark.
2: Oh, these people were dumber than Iraq.
3: Oh, boy. I worked some, though. I worked a uh, joint Oklahoma City and yeah. I worked at bowling alley in in uh, yeah. uh, Kankakee, Illinois, I think it was. I mean, you do all those joints when you're doing them, but they're good. They it's it's where you develop an
2: act and yeah. it's where oh, you learn yeah. Oh yeah, there was a there was a, a black comedian opening for me in Ozark, Alabama, and he he was a good comic, you know, and he was struggling, he was struggling, struggling. So when he got off and I was ready to go on, he passed me and he goes, "These are the dumbest, no, 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 I've yeah. ever seen in my life." And I was thinking, oh, maybe it's just you, you know. Mm-hmm. I go on there and, and right through my act, I go, "You're right, yeah. <laughs> you're right."
3: Yeah, he worked. Even Shaky tells me, that, yeah, I worked here and I bombed terrible. I mean, he even knows, you yeah. know, both of us. Had a scene at the Copa in New York. Uh, you, you probably heard the stories. Well, Jules Padell, the guy who owned the Copa Cabana, was one of the mi- most miserable people on the face of the earth. He hated everybody. And uh, I was working there and I was opening. It was prom season. So I was opening for the New Christie Minstrels. They were real young, you know, yeah. they figured the college kids would be. And uh, so I was doing my act and the guy at rehearsal. Doug Coody, who's, who ran the stage I and mean, everything, the lights from in the back of the room, he said, how much time are you doing? He says, you're doing about uh, half an hour. And, and I was joking around. you know. I said, no, I'm, do, I'm doing 29 minutes, Doug. You know, like, yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do I know how much time I'm doing? If right. if the audience is applauding and laughing a lot, it's going to run over. If they're not doing good, it's going to be a little less. You know. So anyway, I go out and I'm do, in the middle of a story and uh, the lights go out and the band plays me off. So I, I go back. I said, Doug, what He said, you said 29 minutes. I said, <laughs> I, thought <you> were <laughs> "I said, Doug, that was like a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, well, Mr. Padel said whatever uh, that has to be. So I do the second show and he did the same thing. So the next night I go in, I do the first show and he turns the he turns the lights out and fortunately uh, I knew the guys in the band and they knew me so we had like a so I stopped the band and he and he turned the lights out and he turned the mic off and I finished the story just yelling to the people in the audience and he said well you're going to have to see Mr. Pedell and Jules Pedell said uh, you know, I, I don't like your act. you got a dirty act. I said, Mr. <laughs> Paddle, don't tell me that. Because I work, I work uh, Catholic universities, and I never have a problem. And he said to me, if I was the boss of a university where you worked, I'd
2: throw you out. Uh, yeah. It was, well, you, know, you <laughs> know, isn't this perception? One time we were, we were, me and a, a couple of the comics were going to be performing at Pepperdine University. Yeah. And we are in the office making the deal and everything for the show that we were doing. Well, the dean uh, Pepperdine at the time, you know, this is going back a few decades. The dean at the, at the thing, we, he said, "You guys were clean." And we yeah, yeah, we were clean, and then and we did, yep. we do. And he he turned he he turned to us and he said, "Because we had Bill Cosby in here about a month ago, and he was filthy." Yeah. And I looked, and everybody so, was turning yeah. white, and they go, "This guy thinks Cosby's dirty." Yeah. We're in trouble, yeah. you know. <laughs> so it's all perception, you know. Yeah, you could do one joke, and they think. Uh, they think, uh, you know, you're, you're dirty. You know, uh, Brad Garrett, the comedian, he, yeah, said, no. he said he was working, open for Sinatra one time, and he said, uh, he said to Sinatra before the show, Mr. Sinatra, how much time do you want me to do? And he, Sinatra goes, well, you'll know. And he goes, no, no, no. Do you want me to do 15, 20, 30 minutes? He goes, you'll, you'll know. And he goes, so I didn't, didn't <laughs> want to question him anymore. He goes, I go on stage, I'm doing my act. He goes, and I'm on stage about 20 minutes, and all of a sudden, I'm doing, setting up a, a bit, and the crowd starts roaring. And I'm thinking, what's going on? He goes, and I feel this tap on my shoulder. Yeah, and I look, and he's a big guy, you know, he looks down. Is Sinatra standing there? And Sinatra goes, That's enough. Yeah, I know. He goes, That's enough. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Just like that. <laughs> and that yeah. was it.
3: Pat Henry, dear Pat Henry, who passed away, Pat worked with Sinatra for years. And uh, Pat was a good guy. It wasn't the greatest comic, but he was a very good comic, and he was a great guy. And. Uh, He's, I'd sit down and talk with him and he said Was well, he I'd Italian? Stay, yeah yeah. But Pat uh, Pat said your life isn't your own if you're with Sinatra for any length of time because they'd work the Copa for two weeks you know and then they'd work uh, Atlantic City for yeah. a week and then they'd come back and work a small room in New York for a week and then they'd be gone for like six weeks and Pat would look forward to coming home he lived in Palm Springs yeah. and uh, they'd have their tickets and everything and then Frank would call his room and say, get up here. And they'd get up, and he'd say, uh, are you packed? They'd say, yeah, I'm ready to go. I said, all right, we're going to London for a week. And, and they'd go to London and hang out. I mean, Frank would pay for everything, but yeah. he'd have to hang out in London for a week, and then they'd decide they might go to Paris to get something to eat for two or three days or yeah, something. Yeah, because
2: Tom Dreesen said he was working with Sinatra one time, and he goes, and I, I I went to bed, and Sinatra called, and it was about, I guess, 2 in the morning, and he goes, hey, uh, Tommy, come downstairs and have a drink. He goes, and I said, well, you know, Frank, I, I'm really tired. I'm, I'm actually <laughs> sleeping. He said, I said, come downstairs and have a drink. <laughs> yeah. So you went downstairs. <laughs>
3: when, when, when we do, used to do Night of Stars for St. Jude's Ranch out here, Yeah, Joe Delaney, rested. So soul, mm-hmm. the newspaper guy, was the producer and I was the director and we'd let this we'd set this whole thing up so everybody was going to do like six minutes so we'd tell all the singers look you're doing two tunes no more than two tunes and and you know don't be don't be like Wayne Newton thing just do two tunes yeah and we tell every singer so they'd rehearse two tunes great orchestra you know And then we tell all the comics, you know, make sure you just do like six minutes, no more than six minutes. I'm going to be standing in the wings, and I'm, you know, so most of the people we know each other in the field. Okay, okay. So a couple of guys that go over like a half a minute or something, they come off and apologize, and but we do. But this thing is geared so that the acts that are the opening acts, they can't go on at eight o'clock, you know, because they're on stage. So we get the headline act on at eight. And the limo has to be arranged to pick them up, to get them there, put them in the green room. So they go on at 8, right after their act, they go, on then the opening act arrives for the different limo. He can go on, and then the other hotel, so this is all set up like, yeah. and it's all, it has to go like clockwork. So halfway through, every year, halfway through, the phone okay. rings backstage, pick up the phone, uh... This is so-and-so. Uh, Frank's coming down. Frank wants to go on now. So you look at her you say, are you telling me he's not going on? I'm not telling me he's not yeah. going on. So Frank comes down and now every other act gets pushed back and for oh, the rest oh. of the night it's tap dancing, trying to get, trying not to put, you know... D- d- you could put Tony Bennett and Willie Nelson next yeah. but you can't put Tony Bennett and Jack Jones next they're gonna do the same song you know so yeah you,
2: you so. know it reminded me of when I started in the San Francisco comedy clubs you know uh, when I was a teenager and Robin Williams it was yeah. in the height of Mork and Mindy yeah. right and he would fly up to san francisco every weekend right and this club was called the holy city zoo it was on clement street did you ever hear about holy city little hole in the wall but everybody dana carvey you know we all started there at this club and um and so robin would as soon as he walked in the door we go oh no because they'd go robin you want to go on he would go up he'd be up there an hour and a half at least and we would all get pushed back <laughs> same thing we wouldn't get on till midnight because yeah. robin came in at nine thirty. you know yeah some comics told
3: me that uh uh, he would come in the audience at the comedy store in L.A., and uh, if a guy had a particularly good piece or something like that, oh, Robin would do it on the air. He would take He'd it. He'd steal it and do it oh, on yeah. the I air. I saw a guy
2: would... throw him against the wall at the comedy store, and it would he stole be, his it, bits. it was him. He did it on Mork and Me. You know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so he was, he I, I, I never liked Steph that about, right about him. I mean, Robin was brilliant, but he was a thief. He stole a lot of stuff. But you know what?
3: Every time I'd see him, I still had the same thing. When he grew up, he wanted to be Jonathan Winters. Yeah. You know, Jonathan yeah. Winters. That was, was his hero, Jonathan Of course.
2: Winters. Yeah.
3: He wanted to be there, but, uh, it, like, I saw his stand-up. I thought that was very weak, yeah. uh, whatever it was called. I figured the, the end of the world or something like mm. that. But it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't a real strong stand-up, you know, compared to, like... Uh, you know, some of the uh, Richard Pryor's was like a classic, you know, that will yeah. always be funny. Yeah,
2: Robin was just all over the place. You yeah. Know, he was all over And the place. George
3: Carlin's were classics, you yeah.
2: know. Yeah, he did more of the set stuff, George Carlin. We're talking to uh, legendary comedian Pete Barbeauty.
0: We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. More with Pete. You're listening to The Vegas Voice, brought to you by The Vegas Voice Magazine. Learn more at thevegasvoice.net. Don't go away, Rich and I
1: return right after this. Replacing your air conditioning and heating system is a big decision. That's why Johnny on the Spot Air Conditioning and Heating tailors every new unit estimate to meet our clients' needs. We go over all the options with you and custom design a new system for you and your home. And of course, these consultations are always free. Schedule your free new unit estimate online at johnnies.vegas. Or call us at 702 Johnny's. That's 702 564 6697. Contractor license number 76827.
0: The Vegas Voice Continues. Here again, Rich Natoli
2: we are back Rich Natoli here with John the announcer and legendary comedian Pete Barbeauty in studio talking about all these uh, great showbiz stories and so now so you never told us that do you still remember the joke about Frank Jr. that you did the, that that no it was, some, it was, it was a,
3: something like uh, there's yeah. two guys who kidnapped him and the guy said, I got Frank Jr. They were having a drink. He says, uh, you want to make some money? He says, what? He says, uh, they're having dinner or something. He said, I got Frank Jr. in the trunk. He says, <laughs> he says no, you don't. And he says, I swear. He said, come on, you, you prove it to me. He opened the trunk and he said to the kids, sing something. And the kid sang. And he said, that's not Frank Jr. Let him go. You know, oh, that's funny. So it was something like something that. Something like know. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. But that's all. The, yeah. I got to tell you, working, uh, I was working Carnegie Hall with Sinatra. He had the suite at the upstairs, huge orchestra. So all the rooms were pretty crowded. I had a smaller room down the hall. He came by every night before the show. You know, I did the first half intermission, second half. He came by every night. He said, let's have a good one. Okay, boss. Do you need anything? No, I'm okay. He says, I sent down some wine. Yeah, I got it. It's fine. Thanks. So, I mean, he says, remember my door is open. Well, that's Sinatra. I'm not going to be hanging out in his, you know. So then after the first week, I thought, Maybe I should put in an appearance now. I don't want them to think I'm like a snob, you know. So it was after the show, and I casually poured a glass of wine, and I strolled up the hall, and uh, Joe Parnello was conducting for me. He was in the corner. There was a little spin of piano. He said, hey, Pete. I said, hey, Joe. And he was concentrating and writing. And Frank's wife, Barbara, was at the bar. said, Frank's in the shower, Pete. He'll be right out. I said, okay, Barbara. And I looked, and there was a settee there. And there was a, a, a like a small couch, and sitting on the couch were two people, George Steinbrenner and George Bush. Oh. And I nodded, and they nodded, and I turned and walked out. I said, "What the hell am I going to talk to them about? How's the car running? You know, <laughs> hear any good jokes lately? What? I mean, there there's a different there's a different level, you know, and that was uh, way above my pay grade.
2: You know, talk about Steinbrenner. I was I was actually I was doing a corporate show in, in somewhere in the Midwest, and this woman limousine driver. Very attractive, blonde lady. And I, we're talking about celebrities. She's carted around. And she said, well, I had George Steinbrenner in my, in my car about about a week ago. And I said, well, how, what was that like? She goes, oh, it was a nightmare. I go, what happened? She goes, I got pulled over to get a ticket while he was in the car. And so I said, you got a ticket? Yeah. So the cop gives her the ticket. And then she starts driving and she goes, and I'm crying because it was a $100 ticket. And she goes, I can't afford that. You know, I'm crying. And Steinbrenner says, what are you crying about? She goes, I said, you know, it's a $100 ticket. I can't afford th- this kind of thing. And you go, Steinbrenner reached in his pocket, took out a $100 bill, threw it at her, and said, pay your God ticket. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, that sounds about right. A different,
3: <laughs> different level. I always, here's my synopsis of it for, for, so that local people can understand this. There's us and there's them and it will always be that way and here's what happens you go to work you're a hostess in a restaurant a guy comes in he doesn't have a reservation but he's with his girl or something like that and you say look i'm i'm embarrassed for you let me see what i could do and you do, or or you're a blackjack dealer or a waiter and you do the guy a favor and when the guy is leaving the guy says you know what i made a big score yesterday i made a bet paid off and I want to give you a token because you really were very... Oh, you don't have to do that, sir. Never mind. Take this. And he puts in your hand a wad of bills. And so you stick it in your pocket, you know. And then after the gig, you're ready to go home. You go out and you start the car and you remember so you take it out and you look at it. And you uncrumple the bills and you start to sort of iron them out like so they fit together properly And your look. And it's $3,750. Mm. And you say, whoa, this is amazing, man. I can't wait to get home and tell my old lady or my husband. So you get home and you pull up in the driveway. And just as you pull up in the driveway, there's a guy coming down from your roof on an aluminum ladder. And he turns around and he says to you, it's the compressor. You don't even have <laughs> to guess. ask how much it is. Yeah. It's exactly 3700 <laughs> yeah, And yeah. it will be like that ultra light. Huh. It's not that. It's the transmission on the yeah, car goes yeah. out. It's, yeah. it's, there's us and there's them. Those guys don't have that. George Steinbrenner and George no. Bush. Their hair compressor doesn't
2: go out. No. No. It, it wouldn't dare. It wouldn't dare. That, isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? And so now, what, what, when, um, what about the other singers? What other singers did you work with back in the day? Well,
3: all of them. Uh, Tony Bennett, Jack Jones, <laughs> Sammy Davis. Sammy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Julie, you know, who, who was a great singer. Uh, I think Jack Jones is probably technically the best singer that ever lived. Yeah, he, he, has, good. He, he has absolute pitch. You know, he, he would... He would sing like four or five songs, and he talked to the audience about his dad, Alan Jones, who was, a, of course, a big star. And he talked to, to the audience, and then he'd say, "Here's an old song. It was one of my dad's favorites, Tommy Dorsey's theme song." I'm getting sentimental over you. There'd be no piano arpeggio. There'd be no bell tone. There'd be nothing to relate to. He hasn't sung for six minutes, and he sings, "Never thought I'd fall." And when he hears hits that note, and the violins come in, you can. Actually, here the violins are slightly off. His his note is if you put it on an oscilloscope, it would nail the vibrations at 621 and a half or whatever. He he has that kind of uh, plus an incredible range and
2: well, that's amazing.
3: Great sense of humor.
2: Yeah. And so, when you work with these guys like Sammy and all these guys, now at that time, didn't you guys do like a month in each hotel?
3: Yeah, it was always in Vegas. It was always a month. Everybody did a month, and it was seven nights and two shows a night.
2: Now there was now the other hotels didn't say, "Well, if you work working over here at the Sands, you can't work over here at the Dunes." Did they do that? Back they didn't. Then? They didn't do
3: that, but it was an accepted practice among the artists and the agents themselves. In other words, you you got a hotel. Certain acts work certain hotels and you stayed at that oh, hotel. so you
2: worked for a collage of the hotels owned by the same company? Yeah, usually,
3: it was? It, usually it, was, it was individual in those days. But you were like Sinatra. The, the You know, the Rat Pack worked only for the Sands. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until later years when, when the corporates started to move and then went to Caesars.
2: Yeah. And so now what about uh, Jerry Lewis? Now, were you friends? Jerry Lewis Yeah,
3: was, yeah, Jerry... Because Jer- I heard a lot of about Jer- him. Well, Jerry was, him, was two that- people. Jerry was two people. A lot of those people, a lot of... A lot of singers and comedians have dual personalities. Yeah. Not so with musicians. I notice that when I meet a musician that I admire, you know a nationally record international, like Oscar Peterson, yeah. piano player. Oscar Peterson, when I meet him, I know how he's gonna be because his music is a projection of Dizzy Gillespie is that happy party. Miles Davis is that dark you know right. evil i mean that you could tell by uh bill evans the, the real cerebral piano you could hear that with george sherry you could hear this sort of rascal in his play they're all real honest and you could tell but with singers sometimes they're, they're jerry jerry was the nicest guy you'd ever meet and the worst guy you'd ever meet and he you never knew which way. he was always he nice to me i complicated can't, kind of guy. yeah i'd, 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 I'd it's difficult for me to bum rap him because he was always very respectful and very yeah. good to me. Yeah. He was, you know, yeah, every. And that's
2: how you have to go by you, you know. How yeah. Now, you know, I worked with uh, Paul Wankel one time. And, uh, yeah. It wasn't nice.
3: Well, I, I had, you know, my problems with Paul, too. I, was, I had a TV series in Canada, which was real hot, called Pete's Place. It was about a guy who owns a small club in Vegas, but we shot it in Toronto. And so uh, Paul is Canadian, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the the they had a, a NAFTA convention here in town where TV people all bring their product yeah. and show it off, yeah. and you know, and uh, these guys, the the Canadian guys came down, and uh, in, in Canada, the country geographically is big, but only ten percent as many people, mm-hmm. and they're all in Toronto, you know, the, every other town has a, every yeah. province has a city but not like Toronto Toronto's like the right. New York of Canada and uh, these guys came down from Toronto and and they said geez you think Paul had come over so they had dinner at Paul's place you know what was the name of it, it was called after the song he used to do it was Diana's
2: or something no like I forget the name yeah. but
3: it was uh, it was a place just across from the the one hotel on, uh, like Harmon up in that area. Yeah. It was a big restaurant. Jubilation, I think it was. Yeah. And, uh, Paul said, uh, I can't get a limo. It was across the street. I can't get the limo. He was making excuses. He never showed up for them. I went out and did a show, you know, and I mean, I'm not Canadian even, but they're, yeah. they're like friends of mine. So I did a, a little presentation show right. and Paul refused to go over there and wouldn't talk to them. And yeah. yeah
2: you, well, what, I, what I, I worked at, I hosted the uh, MC and performed it. It was for the 49ers for the DeBartolo family yeah, yeah. in Tampa, Florida. Yeah, different. And so boy. all the 49ers were there. And so Paul, they said, Paul is going to be the featured singer. So you'll be introducing him after you're done with your set, right? So I thought, okay. And I had, you know, I'd heard all these horror stories. And I thought, well, you know what? I, and I just got, was working with Wayne Newton at the time and, and, and stuff here in Vegas. So I thought, okay, well, let me just give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to go there and do the gig and see how he treats me, right? So, I go there and I do my set, and I figured, well, I, I know he wrote the Tonight Show theme, so I'm going to introduce him as Johnny Carson, give him a big buildup. And I'm like, um, he, wrote, he wrote the theme to the Tonight Show. Uh, he's a fantastic writer, an uh, entertainer. I give him this big buildup, you know. And as I'm doing the Carson impression, he's standing up in the aisle and he's looking at me like he wants to kill me. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, what's this about? You know, he's looking really mean. Like, uh, so, and I introduce him, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Paul Anka. And he walks on the stage, never looks at me. Never Once he starts to walk to never makes eye contact with me, turns his back to me, grabs the microphone from me, and then starts talking about himself. And I kind of backed up and slithered off. And I'm thinking, never acknowledged me. Never said, how about a nice round of applause? Thank you for the introduction. Nothing. And I thought, wow, that was terrible, you know.
3: Yeah, there are a lot of horror stories about him in this town.
2: And, and why? Why are people? Well, you know, I don't understand. He's he's been blessed. He had a great career, you know, had a lot of success. So maybe some of these people are just not happy inside. I think. Yeah,
3: I don't know. I don't know. But uh, yeah. yeah, I've had. Uh, in fact, he was so he was so disliked here in town that uh, when my wife was pregnant with our youngest child. Uh, she took my cleaning down to a. The cleaners, the only w- one that we knew of in those days, catty-corner from the Sahara. There was a shopping mm-hmm. district. Now it's all souvenirs. Yeah. But it used to be a supermarket, 24 hours. and a, That was probably mob-owned because that whole corner was yeah, like was, mob yeah, offices was, at one time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was... Uh, anyway, she was, She took my cleaning down, and uh, there were cleaning drapes, and there was a real strong smell, and she was very pregnant, and she was getting ill, so she turned around because she was getting sick and she knew she was going to throw up. Yeah. So she turned around to run out the door and Paul Anka was coming in with his cleaning yeah. and she threw up on Paul Anka. Oh. And she oh, came what, home and told what me. What kind of I, karma I, is that for she, him? Yeah, she came <laughs> home and told me and I said, okay, that cements the marriage. For
2: Did he scream at her? He <laughs> must. I don't know, he promised. <laughs> it's like, well, Paul, you know, you reap what you sow, yeah. buddy.
3: <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of bad stories about him from the musicians. and
2: Yeah, and, and, and that's too bad, you know. Just be treat people the way you want to be treated. That's what I always say.
3: Well, when we did Night of Stars one year, we had, a, I mean, Sinatra. We had Dean Martin. We had, we had every country singer in the country. We had Jack Benny flew in for it. Uh, Charlton Heston. I mean, everybody, you yeah. know, the best, the biggest of the best. And uh, Joe, at the last minute, gets a call from Wayne Newton and says, I understand. It he says, OK, I have to close. He says, and uh, I have to bring my own band. Well, we had a. Wayne said that? Yeah, Wayne knew. We had, We already had a killer band, you know, uh, uh, eight brass and five yeah. reeds. And I mean, every, you know, so he had, no, I have to have my band. So that means they got to change bands and everything. And Paul heard that Wayne was coming in. So Paul called and says, I have to close after Wayne and I have to use my band. And, oh. you know, my son was doing some of the audio then. And he said, we're going to have a difficulty, he said, uh, fitting both of their egos in this room.
2: Yeah. Wow. They, that's yeah. wow. 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 Mm-hmm yeah it's amazing um, you know and some so, so, some of the people that you worked with most of them though were pretty cordial to you though right yeah I, mean, I nice.
3: never I'm... had a problem I don't think with anybody when, yeah. Frankie Lane was an angel uh i i said to frankie lane you know sometimes i'd be going real good i'd have a running joke going and i'd come off and frankie'd be sitting in a chair backstage and i'd say frankie i'm so sorry man He'd say, wait what are you apologizing for it's not a cure for cancer yeah. he said you had a good audience i'll go out and we'll have to sing some songs and we'll go and we'll have dinner
2: it was yeah, i mean right.
3: and, he, and he was a huge Just star you know going, yeah yeah but he was uh, he was an angel and that's way. the way
2: to go. Yeah, that's the way to be. You yeah. Know, some of these people take it too seriously, like like it's about their egos. And if they don't have top billing and they don't have every, all the attention on them, then they're they're like they think that well, everything's got, a loss.
3: I got to tell you a story on that from the old days, of course. Uh, Count Basie band used to work in the Flamingo Lounge, but there were just a once in a while visitors. The, the act that worked there the most was Harry James in his band. He had Buddy Rich on drums who was already a star and of course Harry James was a huge star in movies and everything. You know, Great trumpet player. He was an excellent player too. And so Harry's band was there and they packed the joint and uh, somebody came up with the idea they said why don't we book Harry in the showroom and see if his wife Betty Grable there was no bigger star than Betty Grable let's see if Betty Grable's a singer let's see if Harry James and Betty Grable you know and they said, well, we pay, we pay $50,000 a week, the top we've ever paid. So we will give them each $25,000 a week. They'll be here for a month. They're each going to make hundred grand. This is in the 60s. Not bad, right? So, so uh, they, they all get together and, uh, and they say, yeah, as long as Harry gets top billing. Oh, no, wait a minute. Betty's a bigger star. Betty gets top billing. And the two managers are there with the owners of the hotel. And this goes on and on until they, finally they don't have a deal until one of the guys from the hotel says, wait a minute. He says, there are two sides to the marquee. How about if we put Harry and Betty on one side and then Betty and Harry on the other side of the marquee? And they said, great, okay, that solves the problem. And then the one guy says, as long as Betty gets the side facing the airport. And <laughs> Harry's match." oh no, Harry gets yeah, the side. You yeah. know what, they never worked the gig.
2: Oh, they that's never a, worked. They, see, that's too bad. they
3: would have, They each would have made hundred thousand oh. dollars, you know, and for, just
2: for that. And,
3: and they, they. But they,
2: they wouldn't settle for like just equal uh, building no, the no, same size. No.
3: Buddy Hackett uh, did that once. And uh, they built a second marquee when the Sahara opened a new tower and the back on Paradise Road that you could enter through there, and was just, that was all new. And they built another marquee back there, and. Uh, it had Buddy hacking and big letters, but then it had the lounge entertainment and there were like four groups, so it was small letters. Yeah. But one of the f- first lines was higher than Buddy's name <laughs> on the, cause Buddy's was huge, it took up the whole marquee. And Buddy uh, went outside with his tuxedo pants on and a t-shirt and he went out there and he stood there and he says, call the sign company and tell them to get here and change it. He says, when they change the sign, I'll put my shirt on and go on stage.
2: Oh my gosh.
3: So they were all doing that stuff. Yeah, who cares, nice. and, yeah. and Buddy was, I mean, his reputation. That's why you asked Shecky about him. Shecky, tell you, Buddy was nuts, man. He yeah. came in and found somebody. There, there was a pecking order in the hotel. Right behind the hotel, the first parking space went to the star who was in the showroom. Yeah. It was Frank Sinatra or Frankie Lane, whomever, Jack, went to the The second parking space was for the hotel manager. The third space was the casino manager. There was a pecking, then the credit manager. It was a pecking order that everybody appreciated, and it was well-known. So Buddy came to work one night, and somebody parked in his space. Well, you and I, between us here, we could think of maybe a dozen options that we would do. You put a note on his windshield, hey, stupid, in the future, don't park here. You, know, you could park right behind him. Penning him in so he can't get out You know You could scratch his car Key his car You could call the towing company You you know So Buddy did the most logical thing He took out his gun For which he had a permit And he shot the car Reloaded Shot the tires Shot the windows Shot the lights out Then went in and did his show (laughs) And I was sitting in his dressing room With him one day And uh, he picked up the phone And he says He says Give me a watch line in those days, they had what they call a watts line. It was yeah. you'd pay a fee and you got yeah, a long a free, distance. Free yeah. Call, yeah. So you can make up to 800. Yeah. Yeah, it was like an 800 number. Yeah. So, uh, and, and, and he was talking to me while he was doing this, you know. You know and then, and he, and then uh, he says, Give me, he gave the number, the area code and the number. And then he said, I held the phone there for a while, away while he was talking to me. Then he says, uh, Something, something. And then he hung up the phone. And then later I said, well, what's that all about, buddy? He says, what's well, what about? It was like he did it subconsciously. Well, it turned out Buddy was in a golf tournament somewhere in California and locked his keys in the trunk. You know, he had his golf clubs in there. He put his keys down while he was changing his pants. Right. Closed the door, oh no, I locked my keys in the trunk. <laughs> So he called, went in, looked for a locksmith, 24-hour service. I locked my keys to God. The lady says, my husband went to bed early tonight, he didn't feel good. Uh, call somebody else. Well, if you and I would call the next one, not buddy. Buddy called back. He says, your ad says 24-hour service. If, you, if you, I'm going to sue you for false advertising. So she gets her husband up. He'll come out. What time's he going to be here? He'll get there when he gets there. Well, if he's going to be here in 15 minutes, I'll wait here. If he's going to be an hour, I'll go in the bar and have another. He's, uh, anyways, so Buddy went out. The guy came. Peppa opened the trunk. $50. That didn't bother. Buddy was so bugged. This happened like seven years ago. So for the last seven years, at least two or three nights a week, at 1 o'clock in the morning, he calls the Acme Lock Company to wake them up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and he does it without even thinking yeah, so automatically that's... wow wow I mean they're, they're, those those people are gone they're... I know I know well one of the last of the uh, living legends Pete Barbeauty thank you so much for coming in this morning Pete it's alright I had to put a thousand miles on my car anyway man <laughs> Pete Barbeauty everybody uh uh thanks a lot folks want to remind you come out and see uh the show that i'm in the jew man group okay over at the tuscany five thirty p.m show uh and it's uh wednesdays through saturdays and it's we just make fun of everybody in the Good. show you got to come in pete and see i, know, I will i'll come and see and, you and that. i like the tuscany know. yeah let me know this we're okay. in the copa showroom at 5 30 p.m uh, tomorrow through saturday we're in every week wednesday through saturday okay and uh that'd be great um tickets available uh, at the door and uh, at the box office and on the website. See you next time.
0: I'm John the announcer. Thanks for listening. Visit my website at johntheannouncer.com. And speaking of websites, don't forget about the Vegas voice. It's the voice for your health, wealth, and good times. Learn more at thevegasvoice.net. You know, Richard, I love it when you come by to say hello. We know there's a lot of things you could be doing. The fact that you've chosen to spend a little time with us means the world. It really does. So join us next Saturday afternoon at 4 for more of this, The Vegas Void.